Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. I have friends from all different walks of life. I have friends that are believers. I have friends that are atheists and everything in between. I have Jewish friends. I have Muslim friends. I have Buddhist friends. I have uh, friends whose skin color isn't the same as mine. I have friends all over the place, all different walks of life. And did you know that that's, as, as followers of Jesus, we're, we're called to be friends to everybody, aren't we? To everybody, no matter what they believe or where, where, wherever they're at in their journey, we're, we're, we're supposed to be friendly and loving. And, and, and so a while back, a couple of years ago, uh, I, was, I have a friend who's kind of, you know, he's interested in Jesus, but the idea of coming into a place like this is a bit daunting for him. And so he, you know, I, I would invite him to church, but he's like, ah, I'm just not ready for church yet, but I'll, I'll go to Starbucks and talk about Jesus with you. And I'm like, awesome. So we would do that. And, and uh, you know, the other thing that I thought, I thought, you know, maybe he's not, re- you know, ready to come into a place like this, but I think he's at a place in his life where he'd at least be willing to serve his community. You know what I mean? And so at the time, uh, the church that I was uh, connected with, we partnered with other churches. And on the weekends, uh, we would go into downtown Tacoma through the, uh, the, the Tacoma Rescue Mission, and we would just serve the homeless. We would give food out. We would give clothing out. We would invite them back to the rescue mission to get a clean bed and a shower and the whole thing. And uh, over a couple of years, that was a, it was a phenomenal ministry that's still happening today. And I thought to myself, you know what? I probably can get this guy to come with me to that. So I, I described it to him. He said, absolutely, I will go with you to that, you know, just kind of planting Jesus seeds in this guy, right? And so sure enough, he came. And, you know, if you go out on that, on that ministry with the rescue mission, there's always like an orientation, like, hey, this is what we're going to be doing tonight. This is the part of Tacoma that will, that, where we're going to be serving. Here's what to do and what not to do. It's, it's really important to get a little, to have this orientation. At the end, it happens every time we all say a prayer together. And on this particular evening, a, a well-meaning gentleman decided he was going to lead the prayer. And so I said, great. You know, and he said, friends, why don't we stand up and all hold hands right now? And I thought to myself, uh-oh, this is not good for my, my friend. I don't know if that's going to work out. So we all stood up and there's my buddy and he's holding other men's hands around the circle. He'd never done that before. And so all of a sudden, this well-meaning believer went into this prayer. And it started with something kind of like this, Dear Heavenly Father. And he got kind of loud like that. He said, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night where we have the opportunity to serve your children. And tonight, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you washed us in the blood of Jesus. And, and the blood that spilled down Calvary's hill, down that old rugged cross that you hung on that old tree and once we were backslidden and lost, but now we've found eternal life in you, and we just want to thank you for that tonight, Lord. God, give us traveling mercies tonight. Would you go with us tonight, Lord, and, 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 and place a hedge of protection around us? And all of God's children around the circle said, amen. And I thought to myself, that was an awesome prayer, right? But then I had the thought, my friend has no idea what this guy just said. <laughs> and now I'm going to have to spend the rest of the night, which I'm happy to do, 
explaining every last detail of that prayer. And so we were driving around in the search and rescue van. And he said, what's a hedge of protection, JF? And so, so we went through all that. And you know what? If you pray like that, keep praying like that. That's totally okay to pray like that. But on the other hand, we need to sometimes understand exactly what we're saying, especially when there's people around us that don't have any background with Jesus or background with the church. Because if we're not, if we're not careful, sometimes this can just turn into Christian ease or Christian jargon. And, and so last week, we started this series entitled, I Am. We've been looking at the statements that Jesus made about himself in the, in the, in the Gospel of John. And we're going to be in John chapter 6 today. But last week, we talked about where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, if we're not careful... That can just become Christian church jargon, where we can just kind of pray that out. Lord, we're reminded that you're the light of the world. And is that statement true? Of course. But can you describe that to somebody? And so last week we unpacked, what does it look like when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and how does that relate to us? Today we're going to be talking about where in John chapter 6, verse 35, he refers to himself as the bread of life. Lord, I'm thankful that you're the bread of life. Well, what does that mean? I want to unpack that a little bit today. John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, it's always on the screens. Verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This picture of Jesus as the bread of life is found in multiple places in the Gospels. It was a significant image. In fact, this picture of Jesus as the bread of life mattered so much to God that he actually had Jesus be born in Bethlehem. And, and, and the name, the word Bethlehem, actually translates to house of, uh, house of bread or bakery. Like how intentional is that house of Bethlehem, the bakery. That's, it mattered that much to God. So what was Jesus really communicating here when he called himself the bread of life? You know, for the last 30 years, this church was pastored by Pastor Bill Wolfson, who is, yeah, absolutely, who did a phenomenal job. And most of you know that Pastor Bill is Jewish. Did you know that? Jewish man. And so due to that, he valued and taught the Jewish traditions, the feasts, everything pertaining to who Jesus was as a Jew. So he would have, and I, and I know he would have because I've talked to him about it before, he would have taught you the significance of the unleavened bread or the bread without yeast, and how it symbolized one without sin. What does yeast do to dough? Rises, or it puffs it up. That loaf of bread in your kitchen today that you made toast with, how did it get that way? Well, yeast was actually added to the bread. So the yeast is removed as a symbol of humility. The yeast is removed from the bread. It makes it unleavened and it symbolizes sinlessness. So when Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life, he was saying symbolically, 
I am without sin. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, what he was symbolically saying, we talked about last week how rabbis, they can, they can teach and communicate in ways where they don't even have to use words. Really cool. And this is how Jesus taught. He says, I'm the, I'm the bread of life. He's communicating that he is one without sin, that he is one who is full of humility. He is one who, who comes as a servant. And he's one that we should model. But that's just, I'm just scratching the surface of what Jesus means when he says that. I want to give you today, if you're taking notes, just a few thoughts on how Jesus as a symbol of the bread of life relates to our own lives today. Can I do that? So here's the first one. Write this down. The bread as a sign. Write that down. The bread as a sign. I want to give you some context as to what just happened when Jesus makes this statement that we just read, referring him to as the bread of life. If you look in John 6, Jesus has just done this incredible miracle or sign where he gets these two little fish and five loaves of bread from this little boy and he miraculously multiplies this little lunch and he's able to feed the 5,000 people that are there. In fact, many theologians believe it was times four. It would have been 20,000 people are, he, are there to hear, they're hungry, and Jesus performs this miracle, and he feeds every last one of them to the point where there's leftovers. Don't you love that when there's leftovers at a meal you get to take home? This is who Jesus, this is who Jesus is and was. He's like, here's some leftovers, just, to, just so you, you won't go physically hungry, right? So this takes place. Now look at John chapter 6, verse 14 through 15. I, I've got a lot of text here, so stick with me. We're going to read through it a little bit. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now watch this. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So the Bible says that Jesus went away from the crowd because he knew that the crowd would end up trying to force him into the way they wanted his leadership to look like. And Jesus goes, nope. And he bails. Takes off. And maybe you're here today and you don't, you don't feel Jesus in your life right now because you've been trying to insert him into your ways, into your plans, into your conveniency. And you're like, why don't I hear you, God? And he's saying, listen, I came for you, but I didn't come for your ways or your plans or your conveniency because my ways are not your ways, right? But your ways can become my ways. That's how this works. Jesus said, come and follow me. And this crowd isn't understanding. J Jesus pulls this rabbit out of a hat. I mean, think about that miracle. 20,000 people fed. He, it's, like, it's like, look at this. And the crowd goes, he's a prophet. Let's make him our king. 
That's what we, that's what we're going to do. Did you see that? The thing with the food? Wait till that hits social media. We're going to be the biggest deal in town, man. Woohoo! And Jesus never intended to establish an earthly kingdom. So let's get back to this story. So, so Jesus, he retreats. You can read through this in John chapter 6. A massive storm comes all throughout the, the Galilean uh, uh, region there. And the disciples are on the boat. And, and like they take the brunt of it. Like they're on a boat and the storm rises up. And scripture says that they're afraid. They're actually afraid that they're going to die. And all of a sudden they look out. And here comes Jesus walking across the water. And scripture says that they're so afraid, they don't even recognize him. They say, is that a ghost? What is that? Not only we are in a storm, now there's a ghost coming for us. (laughs) Their fear kept them from actually recognizing Jesus coming right for them to save them. And there's been times in my own life where I was going through a storm. And in that storm, I completely forgot everything that Jesus had done for me in the past. In that storm, there was moments where I just completely forgot about how he had always gotten me out of other storms in my life. I just like threw it right I, I Due to my fear, I couldn't even recognize that Jesus was standing right there with me in the middle of my storm. I allowed myself to believe that he was gone. Where are you, Jesus? I sure could use your help right now. I, where are you at? I'm standing right next to you, son. There's times where we can completely miss him and not recognize due to fear. And so, sure enough, he calms the storm. The storm's over. The disciples are like, we're good now? All the people in the region, they get through the storm, and now they're on the other side of the shore with the disciples. And scripture says that all the people that experience these miracles are now freaking out to find Jesus again. Let's go back to the text. Verse 24. Watch this. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered very, watch this. Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus, in this moment, he's so frustrated because he knew that they weren't actually seeking him, they were seeking more signs. Jesus, fish in the loaves, can you do that one again? Jesus, I, I read somewhere, I saw on Facebook that you've got a party trick, 
where you turn water into wine and it's good wine, like the good stuff. I got a thing I'm doing tonight. Can you come, can you come do that for, for my party? And Jesus realizes this. He realizes that they're not seeking after him. They're seeking after the temporal. They're seeking after the byproduct of who Jesus was and is. A God full of miracles, but they, were, they wanted the miracles. They, they didn't really want the actual manna, the actual bread of life. And Jesus is frustrated here. And Jesus was trying to commute, communicate to them that he did the signs, watch this, so that they'd want more of him. The, the, the signs were so that they would crave him. The one where he said it himself. Take this bread of life. Take me and you'll never go hungry again. You'll never thirst again. You don't have to worry about all that. I'll take care of the signs, but seek me. The challenge that Jesus is giving the people in John 6 and the challenge today for us is to remember the bread as a sign. Meaning the times of your fear and the times of your confusion Remember everything that he's done for you in the past and dwell on those memories because it will always drive you back to who he really is in your life. We are human, we are carnal, we are broken and we can lose sight of truth just like that. So you, ha you have to... You have to remember him. You have to remember the bread as a sign of who he is. My daughter, Israel, she's at that age where we're praying together and we're reading Bible stories together and I'm explaining, you know, deep theology with her. Not too deep, but, you know. And um, a while back, I, you know, it was time to go to bed and we had this routine where, I'll tell you one, one thing that she likes. This is, this is a rabbit trail, so I don't want to waste your time, but she likes me when I, when I take my, she goes, she called it, do the egg, dad. I'm like, okay. So do this with your kids. Just take your hand and, you know, like a fist and do this on their forehead and then do this down their face. Do it like three times and they'll be asleep in like five minutes. Dad, do the egg thing. Okay. You know. She loves that. So we, we, do the, we do the egg thing, and it's fun. Uh, but a while back, it was time to go to bed, and I was praying with her. And I, I don't know, I was tired. I wasn't really focused on my prayer. And I, I kind of went into that prayer that my, the gentleman prayed at the beginning. of. It was kind of that prayer to a, you know, seven-year-old, you know. And she's laying in bed, and I was praying, and... And I was, uh, thoughts were somewhere else. And, I, and I, I said this line. I said, and God, I just want more of your presence. And I was real sincere like that. I just said, God, I want more of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? We hugged and kissed. And I walked out, and I was getting ready to turn the light off. And she said, Dad? I said, yes. She said, I want his presence too. <laughs> Just like that. She was like, I, I want his presence too. 
And like in that moment, like it was just like, I'm such a great parent. I am such a great parent. I'm doing so good, you know. He wants his presence. Next, <laughs> next morning, scrambling eggs, and Izzy says, Dad, you know, last night we prayed, you know, I just, I want his presence. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I want his presence. I want his presence. And I said, well, honey, you know, Scripture says where two or three are gathered in his name. There he is. And I said, well, his presence is here. And she said, where? I said, it's here. And she's like, well, I, like, I want to get the presence. Like, when, are, when am I getting the presence? And in that moment, I thought to myself, okay. <laughs> she's talking about presents from Toys R Us, you know? And I was like, oh, man, okay. We got we to gotta talk through this whole time. I'm thinking she wanted the Holy Spirit and his presence, and she wanted something else. Which leads me to my second thought, and that is the bread as a sustainer. So the bread as a sign, but let's take it a step further. The bread as a sustainer. Jesus was trying to get the people to understand how his presence was so much more powerful than his presence, than his signs. And they still are not getting it. When am I getting the presence, Dad? Let's go back to the text, verse 28. Then they asked him, here it is. What must we do to do the works God requires? Now, Jesus, I, I can, you, you, guys, read between the lines when you're reading the, the scriptures. Like, he's got to be frustrated at this point. This is like strike three. He says, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to, say it, the work of God is to believe, which translates to trust, in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jump down to verse 35. Then Jesus declared, guys. <laughs> guys, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. You see, the signs and the presence cannot sustain us. But his Holy Spirit, his presence in your life and recognizing who he really is is what sustains us. Verse 48, I am the bread of life, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat. 
and not die. So he's explaining here this idea of daily bread that he's taught over and over and over again. Verse 51, I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is where Jesus is foreshadowing exactly how he's gonna change the picture of what we call communion and how it will forever be celebrated. I'm gonna ask the band to come back. We're actually gonna receive communion in this portion of my sermon right now. And in fact, if you don't have the elements, I'm gonna ask our friendly ushers to come down to the front. Maybe you just wanna slip your hand up like this and we wanna get the elements in your hand. We got some friends down here in the front. And those of you that have the elements, you can just reach for them right now. And if you want to just peel back the top there and and hold that little piece of unleavened bread that represents the sinlessness of Christ, that represents humility. You see, the reverse, bread with yeast, is a symbol of haughtiness, of pride puffed up inside. I can remember being in Israel a few years ago and it was Passover. I actually got to go during the week of Passover. It was just awesome. I got to share a Shabbat Passover meal with an actual Orthodox family. Bucket list. It was, it was, it was incredibly meaningful and Jesus takes this bread and he's, and he, he, he's trying to explain to them that no longer does this symbolize the manna. In fact, I am the one who is going to, to sustain you. And they don't understand this. They don't understand this whatsoever. Pastor Bill's taught this hundreds of times that the Jews celebrate Passover every year. This is a celebration and It's really a time of remembering how God extracted them out of Egypt's fist, 400 years of slavery. And so for thousands of years, Jews ceremonially remember exactly how that took place. And Jesus sits down at this table, the upper room. It's Passover. And his disciples have seen the signs. They've experienced the healings. They've listened to the greatest teachings that they'd ever heard. They think Jesus is a rock star. They are hanging on every one of his words. If they don't understand, they beg him to please explain it again, Jesus. Jesus' pupils, so here they are at this table, this Passover table. And there's some bread that's connected to the Passover. And there's a cup. In fact, there's several cups, each symbolizing something connected to Passover. So the disciples are thinking that they're, they're, they're sitting down to one of the many Passover meals that they've already been a part of throughout their life. They know what he's gonna say. 
They know how to tilt it. They know how to break it. They know how to, all of these things. They already know where he's going with it because it's Passover and they're with their pastor. And Jesus does something so different and significant. You see, during Passover, that bread represented the manna that sustained the Jews in the wilderness. And I can't get into all of those details right now, but but God literally every day would feed the children of Israel through the bread. And so they they take that bread during Passover. It's going to happen again, coming up here shortly. They take the bread and they go, thank you, God, for sustaining us in the wilderness. Every time we eat this bread, we remember how you took us out of Egypt. You rescued our forefathers. Thank you that we can be on and on and on and on. And then like I just alluded to, that there was a couple different cups that represented different things. and All had meaning connected to the Passover. Religious formalities. All good ones, by the way. And Jesus changes everything in this moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, the apostle Paul writes, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. So they're like, we remember this part. He's doing everything the way it's supposed to be done up until this point. Then he broke it in pieces and said, now think about this. You know, I don't know, maybe... Who would be the guy? Maybe Peter? I bet Peter's playing on his iPhone, maybe, you know? He's like, oh, I already know we're going to go at this part, you know? All right. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says something that probably is partly what got him killed. He says, this is my body. Wait, hey, John, wait a second. He's this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. I can only imagine, you know, hey, Judas, uh, that's not the way this goes. The bread represents the manna, and he just referred to it as his body. We're going to get in trouble for this. In that moment, Jesus was saying, no, this doesn't represent that anymore. This represents me. This represents what will truly sustain you. Father, we thank you for the bread that sustained our ancestors in the wilderness. But Father, you sent me to take this a step further. Because these people, 2,000 years later plus in Tacoma, Washington, Church for All Nations, the signs will not sustain them. I will sustain them. So I'm doing this. I'm putting my life on the line, knowing that I'm going to the grave because of 
connected to the statement that I'm making, right? It's that important. And so that, that is Jesus, the bread of life. Come on, let's just take that bread, just raise it up in the air like this, even symbolically like he did. Just take your fingers and just break it in half, just as a a symbol of of his broken body for you and for me. I'm reminded because of his broken body, what he endured for you and for me, how at any moment he could have had a legion of angels arrive on the scene and extract him out and drop a bomb on Israel just to show them. He took it all. As he kneeled down, naked, isolated, betrayed by his best friends. And remember, because of what Jesus did, his broken body for us, because of that, every, every, every broken area of our lives can be mended and put back together. Come on, let's just raise the bread and give him thanks for it right now. Lord, I thank you. We thank you for your broken body. We thank you that you are the bread of life. We thank you that you came not only to save our broken spirits, our lost souls, but you came to heal us right now. In this room, if you need a healing of some kind in your life, maybe it's your marriage, maybe you walked in here today and you don't even know where your, spou- your spouse is in some other dude's bed right now. You don't, you don't know where she's at. You, don't, you're, you walked in here, you're dealing with sickness, you're dealing with brokenness, betrayal. I want you to lift that up and just receive your healing right now. Lord, heal us. It's because of what you did. We, 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 we don't have access to this, this healing that I'm talking about without you doing what you did. So we remember what you did for us as those Roman centurions ripped to shreds your back, beaten, bloodied, hanging on that cross. It's important for us to visualize how graphic it was. Don't, don't, don't not look at it. Lord, we thank you for what you did and, and, and we honor you and we do what you told us to do to remember. That's what we do. In Jesus' name, come on, let's take the bread together. Verse 25 says this, in the same way, in what way? Meaning the way of how he's radically transforming these symbols. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, which had a whole lot of meaning that it was after the supper. So maybe they're like, well, maybe he's going to get back on track and we won't all be arrested for blasphemy, right? No, he just, (laughs) he, he goes yard on this one. He says, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed. Here it is. This is wacky talk right now. An agreement confirmed with my blood. 
do this to remember me as often as you drink it. You see, there was an old covenant, meaning a promise between man and God. And the promise was, I will forgive your sins, but blood must be shed. So the Jewish people over and over would have to make sacrifices of animals, bloodshed, the temple, over and over and over and over again. And Jesus says, that's enough of that. I got a new promise between me and my father and it's gonna, it's gonna be one last lamb slaughtered. It's gonna be one final sacrifice and my blood will cover all of humanity's sin, not just from now, but moving forward. For thousands of years moving forward, it will work. And I just, I got a little nudge from the Holy Spirit just now. And I, I wanna say this, there's someone in this room where you think that his blood isn't good enough for you because of whatever you've done. No, pastor, that doesn't work for me. God is mad at me. And what I want you to know is you are disrespecting Jesus. To think that you think that you're too bad for what he did for you is a slap in his face. And he is saying it's good enough. It's good enough. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church.